0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO Studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear. We are joined in studio today by two tech giants, Krein Van Der Rad and Tushar Dadlani. Tushar is the engineer at Standard Cognition. And so we will join them
1: in interviews in talking about patents. Etienne, take it away. Krein and Tushar are on the show with me today in the CTO studio, and we're going to be talking about intellectual property, patenting, not patenting, trolling, all the good stuff that comes with scaling companies that start to attract a lot of attention and a lot of cash. So quick introductions, Tushar and Krine. Tushar, brief introduction from you, Kryan, brief introduction from you, and then we'll get the show on the road. Hey everybody,
0: I'm Tushar Badlani. I started a company called Explorer.ai in the self-driving car space. We were building maps for self-driving cars, and that's a very high intellectual property space, as you have probably heard about Waymo versus Uber. And more recently, I've, I work at Standard Cognition, where we were acquired to build autonomous checkout solutions. And a big part of my experience with patents has been both at very early stages of the company and also after getting acquired, transferring patents and a variety of things that come with that. And yeah, happy to be here.
2: Crime Vanderaat. I'm currently, uh, I lead teams uh, doing product development at Epfolio here in San Diego. Um, And uh, two companies ago, I was with Great Call, where we developed uh, mobile tech and and, um, uh, connected health solutions for senior citizens. Um, And we, I think we had about somewhere between 30 and 40 patents there. We set up a patent program. Um, I created a few myself and then we helped engineers develop their ideas into you know, patentable ideas and uh, um, you know, we would reward them for that. Um, so I have some experience setting that up. Uh, we, we also had some, not, not exactly, uh, well, we had some litigation uh, revolving around intellectual property and patents some ways to work around that. And uh, I, I remember one troll who we scared off uh, and that was about it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it, my experience with patents is a, from a few years ago and the world has changed a little bit with regards to software patents. Um, but, uh, but I think a lot of the experiences we had then setting it up uh, are probably still pretty pretty valuable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. And so I want to talk specifically about the need and the focus that a CTO should have on shielding their organization against a risky future. And uh, intellectual property is obviously something that gets developed all the time. I think unbeknownst to CTOs, we're solving so many problems that are technically patentable. And so my first question to the two of you is, when should a CTO start thinking about, should, should we protect this intellectual property? Or when does a company look to each other and say, oh my goodness, we need to file a patent for this because X. Kind of want to get a sense for when, in your experience, was this something that was regarded as worth the effort? and something to be pursued.
0: I can give a, a quick thought to that. So the way we thought about this was what is a competitive landscape? And I think a lot of times patents dip, is mostly about timing and because the ordering of patents and thinking about what do we patent first, when does this become commodity in the world? Uh, is a big part of it because today you might patent a computer vision model but tomorrow Google provides it as a service in Google Cloud and that's like you lost your like any advantage that you might have had. So I think a big part of strategy early on is to start thinking very aggressively is what can I patent early because eventually when even when you start thinking about potentially getting acquired, the acquirer is looking at when did your patents start? Like At what point did you have this patent? Because a bigger company might have already patented that at a later date, a similar patent. So when you're defending legally against that company, you are better suited to be acquired because your patents start, were dated much before the bigger company. So a lot of the litigation protection is typically from the big tech companies or the big fish in that specific industry or that technology domain. So a lot of our focus was where will these bigger companies head into and how do we need to protect ourselves against the bigger tech companies? Because at some point they should acquire or license the patent instead of just copying whatever intellectual property we might have developed in the process so but the flip side of it is this gets this is once a patent is published it's public information so a big company probably has a lot more resources to just reverse engineer whatever you've put out there and never give you credit so you it's a risk it's a risky proposition in a lot of ways but And, like, believing in the ideas of, like, open source, it is always, like, let's share our ideas because, as humanity, we can progress better. So, that's kind of how we look at it.
1: That is a fascinating rock and a hard place. Do I I just start off and run as hard as I can and, and patent as much as I can in the hopes of getting there first, but then at the risk of exposing myself? Or do I wait until I see that the idea has legs, develop customers, build revenue, build a war chest, and then go after these things? Krian, in your experience with with your previous companies, what, what was the approach and the thinking around when to do and file patents?
2: Yeah, we, we started filing patents pretty early on at Gray Call because the founders were pretty experienced. We had some institutional investment. Um, so by the time I joined, we already had like one or two patents, I believe. We started kicking that up a notch a few years later because it, it, uh, it seemed to us like it would increase the valuation of the company if we had a robust patent portfolio. And we were nowhere near you know, going public or getting acquired at the time. But, you know, we knew that it takes years to build up a good portfolio. So we wanted to get started on that. I'll say that from the perspective of protecting your intellectual property, don't start doing patents before you've figured out your open source software licensing situation, because that's actually the biggest risk. If you happen to have like a GPL or some, some copyleft license in there and you're trying to raise money or get acquired and the the parties doing diligence find out, they don't have to pay you a cent for your intellectual property because they're going to get it for free through a lawyer. So do that first. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here, really. Um, so so, yeah, we started pretty early on and we we just we just wanted to get do a little bit of everything offensive defensive focused patents. we weren't worried about big tech companies cuz they were no they didn't even consider our space to be interesting and they they do now but but at the time we didn't consider them competitors so most of our competitors were you know other companies that were building you know i have fallen and i can't get up type technology so they were not developing quickly it was all kind of outdated and so it was more to protect our advantage um, from from you know any future uh, uh, potential uh, competitors there
1: yeah that's the, the that's the second or third time that i've heard people talk about a portfolio of patents so the onesies and the two z's and the three z's versus the fifty or the hundred patents. And recently, I spoke with someone who described it as when investors look at your patent portfolio, they want to see if there's a if there's good coverage. So they might not dig into the specific patent or the specific value of one patent, but. Hey, if this company has a hundred patents, they they have good coverage in this space. is is that Is that how that went for you guys, Crying?
2: Yeah, pretty much. The example that our uh, our, our patent uh, committee and our lawyer used was was Apple, and they're known for pending lots of little things, and it makes it really hard to copy their tech. And I believe this is why. You know a lightning cable is so expensive is because you can't really make that cable without paying apple a bunch of licensing fees so uh for us we we try to spread it out a bit too just so that it it's the best way to to provide kind of like ip insurance protection that way right so if a competitor you know comes along and uh, says that you infringe on one of their patents you have a portfolio of you know, large variety of things to throw back at them uh, and, you know, the the same in the other direction. If they try to copy your products, you, you have a better chance of, you know, going back and, and telling them, well, look, you're you're infringing on this and this and that. Let's start talking licensing fees or, you know, you have to stop selling that product, whatever. So it was it, it wasn't it wasn't very focused, it was much broader, not very deep uh, from for us. And I mean, whether it work, worked better, we did this one thing and it worked out well for us, but that's just one data point, right? I wouldn't say like, that's the best strategy for everyone. I definitely recommend people uh, get an experienced patent attorney that understands their tech and that can help them come up with a good strategy uh, and don't, just take what worked for one company and then think it works for you as well.
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, I will say, and we'll get into the process, the uh, sort of the process that you went through to to patent. But I heard someone say that the difference between working with a patent attorney that understood the domain versus did not understand the domain was literally hundreds of hours. So. You know, it's 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 very interesting uh, because you are working with attorneys who may not uh, understand this stuff, and so he actually recommended they worked with a patent attorneys who had computer science backgrounds, and uh, it was a completely different experience for them. Tushar, the 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 t- let's stick with the timing. The timing is still a very interesting thing for me. So, from what Kline is saying. There, there are these two worlds. There's the, or these two levels of patenting. There's the patenting for patenting's sake, where the number is important, it communicates authority, coverage, whatever. And then there's something that you mentioned, which is, you know, actually protecting the idea so that you can shield your company from future big tech initiatives. Is, is that... Is that how you decided when to go after this stuff?
0: So for us, I think it was also like signaling and committing to this is our like secret sauce in some ways. Uh, and putting it out there in a early enough that because when you're in a startup in a very like domain-heavy area, you want to really think about what is your like true secret sauce and you want to protect that secret sauce. So with the hope that your execution can catch up to your idea. But I think a big part for us, the timing was we might not build all of this, but we think this idea is patentable. Let's talk to a patent attorney, understand like that was the first time I was like doing a patent, like in my own startup. So it was a very interesting experience uh so just spoke to a patent attorney they kind of figure out what what is patentable and what all you blabbered to them and then you kind of iterate on the process a couple of times and then they figure out the rest of the filing process
1: okay so having having been through this process both of you is uh, by the way i've never been through this process i've always said oh we should patent this or blah blah i've always been sort of in the c-suite like oh this is you know this is an idea we can patent but then nothing happens but is is the idea being patented actually is it a lot looser and less less sexy than we think Or have we idealized, oh, patents are these amazing things that truly encompass the spirit of innovation and can I add my voice to that? Or is it really a mundane doofus thing that I can patent the way I push my chair in underneath my own table so that I can make the wheels last longer and on any surface? I mean, are we in la la land with what can be patented and should we always be looking at things differently or or is it a is it an outpost of ideation and the protection of true intellectual property
0: i can share my thoughts on that so initially as a software engineer i was very much like a lot of software is open source there is a bunch of stuff you can find off the internet and use and start integrating and building Like the the true product potential comes up when you combine a whole bunch of ideas and execute effectively and start making money by actually providing value to customers. The second part of that, providing value to customers, is the way we were thinking about it is, let's start broad. like Let's file a broader patent. And the patent attorney kind of recommended like, levels of a patent like one a very broad patent which was like very generic and one very specific to self-driving automotive patent so the good thing is the more generalizable the patent is the like you can argue it out in court right the more general generally applicable it is but the likelihood of it getting rejected is also much higher because it's a very general idea right so i think the balance is like you can work with your patent attorney like share your share everything that you have and they will recommend that from this idea can we file one patent can we file three patents can we file six patents i think the difference comes down to like how much are you willing to spend and where do you want to spend initially so like for us it was let's build broader protection early on and then as we scale out, we can go into more specifics. So that was sort of how we thought about it. Start broad and then go specific as time progresses.
2: Yeah, we so we tried as much as possible to patent things that we actually developed or were in active development. We didn't try to patent ideas quite as much because even then, we didn't didn't see the, the value of, you know, ju- we, we would sit, sit and, you know, whiteboard some crazy ideas in our domain. And we, we had one or two patents in, in that space. But then we stopped doing that because it didn't seem to us like they, they would end up being valuable from either a, an, an offensive of or defensive perspective. Um, so, so that was, that was our approach. Now we weren't doing self-driving tech, right? We were doing, you know, more down-to-earth type product development. I think like more near-term, like you could actually build it and 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 use it and uh, and and widely apply it. So it might be different when you're doing more fundamental, you know, R and D. Uh, but but that's what we did. And now, are they are they valuable or are they overvalued? I think certainly. If you look at, you know, all the money and time that's been put in patenting things and then the actual value of it, I think we've been wasting a lot of time and money, like hands down. Um, Is it it, it, because you you don't really know whether it's going to whether your company is going to survive for you to even have a lawsuit about them? Um, Are you going to win or not or just waste a bunch of money on lawyers? It's 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 kind of like, you know. It's kind of like nfts they're 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 worth because people you know ascribe value to them but is there inherent value in them well not if you do nothing with them they're 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 just a waste of time and money in that case really
1: sorry you're distinguishing between offensive and defensive patents. can you can you clarify that for me
2: well yeah i mean they're When you're developing a patent strategy, you got to think, you know, what are you going to do with those patents, right? Are you going to have them in your back pocket to help with fundraising? Do you think that your competitors might infringe on your IP and you want to be able to go after them? Do you want to have, you know, a a bunch of ammo to throw against a competitor or a troll coming after you? So that, you know, are, are you planning to go after people or just make it harder for people to go after you. So offensive or defensive. That's one way of looking at it. Um, The other way of looking at uh, a patent is, you know, is this. Is is this an idea that might become useful in the future? And you're just thinking about it because you're developing stuff in that space right now and it it could be something of value uh, or are you patenting something that you've just delivered and for sure is going to be in the hands of customers and competitors may try to copy, right? So is it a real thing or not? How close to it being a real thing is it? So those are all factors that go into a patent strategy, I think. Uh, We can dive a little deeper into that later if you want. Yeah, I love that. So, So
1: yeah, I love that. So let's Let's talk a little bit then about the actual process. I know both of you have gone through that and, you know, maybe crying, you can start us off by, by talking us through the steps that, you know, CTOs should consider uh, perhaps how you did it, what you learned in the, you know, the multiple times you went through this process and what that did for you
2: yeah uh, and so once you've decided that you want to patent a particular idea right so you have out of your strategy process came this idea as like yeah this is the next thing we want to patent or maybe it was more of the you know c-suite type we should totally patent this go type but at any rate you're at the point where you're like right, let's let's go make this happen right what we would do is we would we would work uh, in later, fa- uh, l- you know, later on in our patents uh, program, the ideas came from our engineers, not from the engineering leaders anymore. So we would help them articulate their idea in a way that that seemed patentable, right? So we do a little bit of cursory search for prior art, make sure we're not completely wasting our time, and then just just write out the idea in you know, break it down into some logical pieces so we could take that to our patent attorney uh, to, to take it to the next step. And our patent attorney would look at it and give his assessment of whether this was patentable or not. We had a great patent attorney who would help. We would actually pull him into the brainstorming to make our ideas better, uh, expand on it. Uh, and we'd, we'd end up with a draft. Uh, and then, you know, then you file, then there's, a a few back and forths. They're called office actions. It's basically when the patent office sends you a note that says, yeah, here's all the prior art or, uh, you know, they have questions or whatever. Um, And and so you go back and forth with them to either drop it completely or, uh, uh, you know, get your patent issued. Um, And and usually in that process, you have to narrow your claims because they find prior art. Uh, and you know when you narrow <clears throat> excuse me when you narrow the claims in a patent, you make it more specific, so less broadly applicable and therefore less valuable, right? So that's one strategy to to get an idea that's too broad uh, uh, patented is is you take the dependent claims, these are basically the bonus features that you've you've put in your patent application and you make them a core feature of your patent, right it is saying, Instead of saying, I'm patenting this or that or that, you make it this and that and that, and that now becomes your invention. Um, So you kind of play that game. There are different strategies to finally get to an issued patent. uh, And uh, along the way, you spend about 40 grand uh, on lawyer's fees and filing fees. And then hopefully you end up with a patent. That's the crime version of how a patent is made.
1: I love it. Touchard, for you, the, the, the process the same? Uh, not exactly.
0: We had budget constraints. So we kind of did the startup thing. So there's, there's this book called The Great CEO Within, uh, which talks about how to work with lawyers. And it says that if you have something that you want to get done with a lawyer, like figure out how much you're willing to spend and tell them that upfront and tell them what value you want out of that whole process. And we basically were able to apply that process like and this was a reflection that i had when i was reading the book afterwards not necessarily when i was in the process so we discussed we negotiated like for x dollars i think it was around 10000 dollars we will get three patents out of this law firm and we had some like one of our investors used to be a lawyer before so that definitely helped in cutting down the search space very rapidly and figuring out who is the right lawyer for this specific stuff. And we probably got some discounts through that process as well. But I think the big part of, for us was thinking about like, just doing the startup thing, <laughs> like talk to the lawyer, start talking, tell them, Hey, we need this. And then just working based on what they tell you, like, can you provide us X? And then we would do that. And you would just keep following up till, the patent finally got approved and then we had to decide between provisional patents versus full patent so the provisional patents are ones that you can provisionally file like your idea is not fully developed or you're just trying to put it out there that hey we want to file something in this regard so that when you're actually filing the full patent you're fairly protected and we got different advice on that some people were telling us you should like file the provisional early, and then get the full patent like later, but that would be a whole different process, right? And so we went ahead with just filing. Let's move with the full patent. Let's just start the whole process because the back and forth might take a longer duration. To the extent that once we filed the provisional, uh, so so we they kind of staged it. They said, okay, let's. Never mind, Like we'll get you everything one after the other. So they started with filing the provisional patent, which went through the whole process. And post acquisition, we actually had to go through the full patent process till it actually came back to us. So doing all of that was, I think a big part of our experience was think like a startup, figure out how to get the cheapest possible deal and keep iterating. And not worry about it as your, don't make it a focus, because I think as a startup, if you make it your focus point, it can be very draining to know, like, is this patentable? Is this, like, you get into these conversations, which are like, okay, can we make this more unique? Can we make this more specific? And that's like wasted founder time, to be honest. It's better to just have that conversation with the lawyer and let them figure a lot of these things out rather than you... Trying to clarify the idea which makes it patentable, right? You have ideas, just share those ideas with your lawyer and then help let them figure it out like what amongst all of this is patentable and what are the patents that you think make sense rather than have a bunch of internal discussions because that can just slow down the whole process. Because you don't know, like you're just guessing on prior art, you're guessing on a lot of these things, and they know exactly the domain, they know where to fish for this stuff. They know which are the current pending patents on that as well. So it's very hard for you as a person to like understand, but just reading through existing similar patents definitely helps in understanding what the lawyers are sort of looking for in the language. And yeah. And that's kind of how we took a stab at it.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, a larger corporate enterprise process sizing, operationalizing the process by, I mean, crying, that's pretty crazy. The attorney collaborating with you even to uh, get the idea positioned in a way that is more, that'll, it sounds to me like you want to go as far up as you can on the generalized patent and to have someone with, with such trust and relationship that you can uh, collaborate with them on that. And then you have uh two sharp, speaking to the earlier stage startups maybe with budget constraints and challenges around founder time and all that to just say hey what can i get for
2: $10,000 i like that by the way just just upfront like there you go. That's it. This is how much I want to spend. That's what I want to get out of it. Great suggestion to do with lawyers in general. Love it.
1: So lawyers are are key to this whole process, right? You've got to pick the right one. So any tips on what what missteps or any concerns um uh, you know, how do I how do I pick this person? I would say don't overthink
0: it. I think sometimes people get into this thought process that Like you won't know till you work with a lawyer, like how, what does a good lawyer even look like? But keep like training your gut instinct and be like hold your lawyer accountable like every other vendor and think of them as a partner in the process, right? And add that milestones, add constraints, try to see where they are at in their organization, how much they are willing to support you and if you have a lot of those conversations early you can just keep get the ball rolling there but don't spend too much time because patents are like they are more in the nice to have bucket very early on they're not in the must have bucket so you want to audit your time how much time you're spending in the patent process versus actually building the product so like get to market build your product that's when the patent trolls will start attacking you when you like raise money when you start growing right so but you start putting those patent conversations started because that way your timing on your patents becomes early in the whole cycle so you can then explain in legal defense that hey I had this patent at this point in time and then after two years I patented this other thing and then I patented this other thing so it's not like my idea that I patented like six years back was completely out of whack. It was something that there's a whole arc around our patents that we've filed right after that. So whatever we filed like six years back actually was something that was very important to our company. So so it's not like, it's not just one patent that will create that defensibility. It is sort of how do you start incrementally I think uh, Crane can talk to to that more, but I think that kind of goes into the patent strategy side of the house where let's just start, let's just do something and iterate on it instead of trying to overthink a lot of these things. Uh, So that's, I guess, how we decided to move ahead with the lawyer. We've not done this before. These persons seem trustable and this organization is trustable and this budget makes sense. So if you try like five vendors and spend a lot of time figuring out like a patent vendor, that's just distraction from shipping a product and getting the market.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right that you, you're really going to find out whether this is a good patent attorney for you once you're working on a patent. Um, I do know there's there's certain things that, that uh, so I, I didn't end up having to look for this patent. One of my colleagues had already worked with them. So this was an existing relationship, but what I really liked about working with with this patent attorney was that uh, you know, in addition to being part of the the group, trusted group of people who would you know take ideas and make them better, not just you know turn our technical mumbo jumbo into you know legal slash technical mumbo jumbo, which is the language that all patents are written in. It, it's a bit of a mind bend. Um, but um uh, what I really liked about working with him is that he wasn't just collaborative with us. He was also very collaborative uh, with uh, with the, the, the patent examiners, which was really, really helpful because, you know, you're you, you're basically you have another person who is like, you know, somewhat technical and somewhat legal on the other side at the patent office. And you're trying to convince him of something and, and their goal is to not let, let let ideas that have previously been patented or ideas that are so simple that you could get them out of putting two or three patents together, letting those through, right? They're gatekeepers. So their, their game is, you know, let's not let things through the gate. So you have to convince them sometimes to let you do stuff. And, you know, in general, you don't convince people by yelling at them or being, you know, um, uh, combative with them so having a patent attorney who is uh you know who can uh, who who can understand the other the examiner's perspective and you know politely kindly convince them to do what you want is super helpful and we found this we, we were uh, at some point we started uh expediting every patent application there's like You know, expedited or priority filing. It costs like one or two thousand dollars extra, but you get your patent sometimes within a year, which is super fast for the patent office. And the other benefit that you get is that you can have a conversation with your examiner like you can actually we were on a conference call with our attorney and the examiner. So instead of getting an email saying, you know, here's prior art denied. You have a conversation with the person and you can ask them why. Why do you think this is prior art? And and how does that apply to what we're trying to do? And that was super helpful because it, it pulled that examiner into a collaboration space with us in a way. I mean, the, the, the examiner is still on the other side, but you, you bring them in a little bit. So I think finding an attorney who understands that and is collaborative rather than combative Um, that's something to look for and, you know, you probably can figure out how to assess, uh, an attorney on, you know, you can just ask them, you know, what approach do you take? Um, so I, I definitely recommend that. Um, and, you know, once you have a good one, just keep working with them because you, you're, it's just going to get easier and easier. the more you work with that, with that attorney, as opposed to, uh, Uh, You know, working with different ones, you're going to be wasting thousands of dollars starting from scratch.
0: Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio. And thank you to our guests, Crine and Tushar. We will be back next week with another episode from these two tech giants. While you're waiting, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast available in iTunes. Go check out 7CTOs.com and check out both of their LinkedIn. We will see you next week.